0: Actual Fluency Podcast, episode 25, featuring interpreter and translator Robert Bigler. Are you thinking about starting your own language learning website? Then check out HostGator. Use the coupon code ACTUALFLUENCY to get you your first month for just one cent. Get started by going to actualfluency.com forward slash HostGator. Do you like audiobooks? Well then Audible is for you. If you go to actualfluency.com forward slash book, you choose a free audiobook from a selection of 150,000 titles. Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast. The podcast that gives you the tools and inspiration to learn languages faster and more efficiently. And now your host, Chris Broholm. Hello guys, and welcome to another episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. As always, I'm Chris Broholm, and you can find more information about me, language learning, and what I'm up to. I'm currently studying Russian and Esperanto. You can find all that information on the blog, actualfluency.com. Today is a very special episode, it's features in Austrian Polyglot called Robert Bigler and I was fortunate enough to meet Robert at the Polyglot Berlin gathering and I got to talk to him and I, after talking a bit with him, I knew I had to get him on the show and that's when I actually remembered that the very first guest that I had written down in my little Google Docs of potential people to invite onto the show was in fact Robert Bickler, because um, I had already a few people in mind I wanted when I started the show, but I also asked one of my good friends, Judith Meyer, uh, about who I should invite, and she suggested Robert as one of the first, because he's been working with translation and interpretation for uh, 18 plus years, probably longer. Um, but the importance was that not only is he a very good person to talk to about learning languages he's also a very good person to talk to in terms of a career choice and one of the popular talks I probably got Berlin was in fact By Ellen Jovin about job opportunities for polyglots. So, I know for a fact that there's a lot of you guys sitting out there who speak a lot of languages who might be interested in getting into either translation or interpretation. And that's basically why I uh, invited Robert on to talk to us about translation, interpretation, but also, you know, language learning in general, because you don't get to be a translator or an interpreter in seven different languages by just, you know, uh, sleeping all day. So, Robert has a lot of inspirational tips and tricks on how he learned this many languages. And other than that, I just want to say uh, thank you for listening as per usual. And if you have any questions or comments, you can always send me a message via the website in the top bar. And one last thing, if you are using iTunes to listen to this, I would really appreciate it if you took a second to leave a review. Because that really helps the show out, and I read all the reviews, and I love it when I see them. So, if you if you wouldn't mind, also if you're using other places to listen to this, uh, like Stitcher, you know any kind of review that can kind of help me get out to more language learners is really great. Oh, and by the way, this is really exciting. The show re- had reached over ten thousand downloads. So, thank you guys. You guys are awesome, and I'm happy to be here every, providing, inspirational and um well yeah inspirational uh, language learning content and interviews with amazing language learners and as long as you want guys want to hear it i'll be here doing it so thank you so much guys and and here's my interview with robert bigler have to uh, warn you a little bit we do go straight into it because we were sitting in front of each other in berlin so i didn't i don't do my usual uh call it radio introduction but uh, i hope you enjoy anyway How did you get started? You had German, English, and uh, probably when you started school.
1: Yeah, uh, as I said before, since I'm Austrian, my native language is
0: Austrian-German. Austrian we didn't do that. Now it's German. I'm just
1: kidding. So we have our own variant, of course, but it is German. And uh, I started out with English as my first foreign language in school. And then I, uh, well, I had to choose between French and Italian. Officially, I was given the choice, but then it was our school. Uh, that decided uh, that my class had to take Italian, and the other classes uh, had to take care uh, of French. Oh, really? Uh, but I was very happy with that decision anyway, because I really loved Italian right, right from the beginning. I had an amazing Italian teacher, which is not always a given either, if you talk about language right. teachers. Though I think sometimes people, you know, like blame the teachers too often, because sure. you have to do the work, right? So. Yeah. And, If if at all, bad teachers have always motivated me to do much more work at home and that... So bad teachers are a good teacher for you, actually. Yeah, because at the end of the day, that's what, you know, like, made me progress. Or make more progress so uh, well after I, I attended uh, some sort of a commercial high school okay. and uh, I didn't want to study economics so I decided to go to university and try and study English and Italian and that's what I did and uh, well I had to change the faculty because the first faculty I was at uh, was only training teachers I only wow. learned about that later on because at that time you know no internet whatever those were the dark ages <laughs> so there's So it was not that easy to get all that information beforehand. And then I went to an institute that actually trains interpreters and translators. And that was a great choice. And uh, I really loved it right from the beginning. And before I finished my studies in Italian and English, I added Spanish and French. Wow. Uh, I did not graduate in all these four languages. I graduated in the first two. But you don't have to because uh, the... Profession of interpreters and translators is not a regulated one, which means that you don't need an official diploma right. to be allowed or to be able to work as an interpreter. So
0: you went to the school with basically built for. Exactly. Exactly. For. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. And did you, you must have known that when you joined that one. Though. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. 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 That so, was a very conscious decision. Right. Then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. So you, you kind of actually, by then knew that that was what you were interested in.
1: Well, the thing is, I, I never expected to actually work as an interpreter. I always thought that I would be working in an international company. I never thought that this was the kind of work that I would enjoy doing. The thing was that this was the only kind of university that actually gave you the opportunity to speak the language, to read the language. If you go to other places, they teach you about the language in your native tongue. So the first university I went to, even though I had like you know, registered, enrolled for Italian and English. Most of the classes were in German oh, about gosh. Italian and English. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, it's awful. And, and that's not what I wanted. And uh, at that other institute for interpreters and translators, you would always, uh, almost exclusively speak in your target language. Right. You would have a lot of native speakers. And that's what I was interested in.
0: Yeah. And of course, you, you, you're you getting a um, kind of the why. You're getting it yes. very quickly. Well, why am I studying this? Well, because I want to attract exactly. or interpret something. Yeah. It.
1: Well, basically, it was about people, as we said before. What really drives me in my passion for languages are people. Yeah. It's, uh, of course, I'm interested in the culture, but culture is, like, very closely connected <laughs> with people, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I like traveling because I like to see different places, different landscapes, whatever. But again, uh, at the end of the day, it's the people that motivate me to start
0: studying a language and that helped me keep studying, right? Right. So you you, you went through all these these languages in the beginning Mm -hmm. um, and you, how did you, what was your first job? Was that in translation? Yes.
1: Well, uh, I finished my studies and I Actually, my first job was my final examination, so I got paid for that, as a matter of fact, because oh. uh, one of my teachers, she had organized a conference, and she needed some interpreters for that, and she said, Robert, why aren't you joining our team? Uh, I, you, this will be your final exam, and at the same time, you get paid for it, if wow. you do a fine job. So. <laughs> How much motivation do you need? Uh, that was great. That was really great, and I'm still working with that professor. Uh, she now is a colleague and, and, and a dear friend, as a matter of fact, oh, wow. yeah. and she was very supportive right from the beginning so after that however i i went to another department of our university a computer department and they needed somebody who translated their manuals you know right. like uh, from english whatever i think it was english and french into german that's what i did for a year because it was just a temporary job then i went to latin america for about six months i worked with a social well uh, some sort of institution that trains social workers and i was working with uh, handicapped people and street children and after that i went back to austria i was unemployed for about two months then i worked in a translation agency for about three months and then i went freelance and that's what i've been doing ever since and that was and you you obviously enjoy that since you very much, so much very much <laughs> this was like uh one of the best decisions that I've ever made in my life and I I don't regret it right and you've obviously
0: travelled across the world
1: I have travelled a lot I I used to travel much more than I'm travelling now because I used to do much I'm both I'm an interpreter and a translator so uh, that's another specific thing because most people either work only as a translator or as an interpreter I do both and I've been enjoying both but I no longer do as many conversations conference days as I used to in the past, used to in the past, sorry. <laughs> and um, I now prefer working from home sometimes, but I traveled a lot to North America, to Northern Africa, most of the European countries, to Asia, to Australia. So yeah. I've been to many places
0: right. and it, and you, when we say interpreter and translator you know most people know the difference of course but in terms of skills mm. to for both are they different or i mean of course they 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 lean on each other quite well what would be the difference between a, a good inter- translator and a good interpreter mm-hmm.
1: Well, first of all, if, uh, if you want to go into the business of interpreting, I think you shouldn't be a very shy person. Right. <laughs> uh, you should uh, be able to work under a lot of stress. I mean, translating can be very stressful as well. But it's a different kind of stress because even if you have a tight schedule and a tight deadline, you still have more time to prepare for the job or you have the opportunity to take out part of that pressure by just, you know, organizing your day. You right. can't do yeah. that in a booth. You know, if if there is a presentation <laughs> right. a a difficult one for 45 minutes, these 45 minutes are the time where you have to be super focused right. on that presentation and, uh, that is stressful. Some people, I was just like the other day, I was talking to a young guy here and he's very, very good in all the languages uh, that I spoke to him to. And he actually studied translating and interpreting as well. But he said that he just... I think I met him. I don't remember his name though, but Uh, I think it sounds like somebody I've met as well. Yeah, Yeah, I think he's from the Ukraine, but I'm not sure. He now lives in Germany, I think, but but I'm not totally sure. And, uh, but he said that it was just not his type of job. I mean, he couldn't imagine doing that for an extended period of time. Right. I, I do think that if, you, I mean, let's face it, even though you have to be precise and clear on what you say when you do uh, work as an interpreter, as a simultaneous interpreter, you will not be as precise, as clear, as specific, right. as someone who does a written translation. Right. So, I think that you have to be very, very good uh, with languages in both cases, but
0: maybe even more precise when you work as a translator. Right. And you need to maybe you need some more creativity, <coughs> maybe need some more creativity as an interpreter because you need to think yes. on your feet.
1: Yeah. You have to uh, more creative in the sense of uh, being able to get yourself out of a difficult situation very quickly. Right. And you have to. to be in command of your voice. You have to make sure that even though you are about to get into trouble because you know, you yourself, you know that in about 10 seconds you will either come up with a term that fits the context or you will go down or whatever (laughs) so you you feel that pressure you feel that anxiety but you got to make sure that the people listening to you don't of course Mm
0: -hmm. so have you had any of these uh, kind of uh, oh yes (laughs) do you have any uh, any particularly bad ones you can share
1: Uh, well there were a few bad ones I think I mean things have changed uh, in a way because nowadays we almost all have internet connection in our booth we have our notebooks our laptops. Laptops. So I have about, I I don't know, 20, 25 different electronic dictionaries on that notebook. Of course, it's not that you can look up every single word because then you won't be able to listen to the speaker and interpret at the same time. But it's still some sort of a safety net that takes out some of the really nasty kind of pressure that you can have. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the problem is, especially if you work from English into German or whatever, That about nowadays at least in austria and other countries that i've worked so far that i've worked in so far most of the presentations that are given in english are not uh given by native speakers of english and the level of proficiency varies very much and i'm not trying to put down anybody because i make mistakes myself but sometimes you have people who are sent by their bosses or I don't know, head of right. departments to a conference. They haven't spoken English for 15 years. They had uh, the text either translated by somebody else or tr- tried to translate it themselves. And sometimes it's even hard to recognize the language. <laughs> and that's really difficult. That sounds and, like yeah. a good battle. So we had like, especially with names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are, there are many, many, many cases right. where I thought, gosh, that was close, or <laughs> that was even terrible, so I waited at least 10 minutes before I left my booth right. so nobody would see me. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, you don't always get
0: the text, do you?
1: No. Uh, that is the theory. I mean, you should be given the text, like, next week, right? I'm going to EU conference. Just before we talked about it, an hour ago, I checked my email again, because they promised they would send us the documents, yeah. and nothing. They said, okay, unfortunately, we don't have anything, but you can look at our website and <laughs> we have a list of the speakers so what i do is that i will be googling right. speakers to make sure that i know what have they been talking right. about lately and i know the general theme and uh yeah so no that that's sometimes a problem <laughs> if it's to be honest if it's like common standard eu yeah, stuff yeah. It, it's not that much you used to it yeah to the exactly lingo and yeah, yeah. And, and the topic next week isn't going to be that specific. If it's a very technical conference, right. uh, I either deny or I refuse uh, that uh, job assignment or job offer if I don't get uh, any papers right. beforehand, or I'll just try to make sure that there are at least a couple of really, really good technicians in our team so that I can ask them in need right. if, if I'm in need of help.
0: Yeah, it's a whole. I mean, I'm, that's why I, I I find you very interesting to talk to because I, that's not that many interpreters, at least not in the pulgar community. Mm. Oddly enough, for some reason, but maybe they're not maybe, they're, three, not, maybe yeah. they're not vocal of that. Mm. But anyway, um, it's it's something that a lot of people who might be watching this mm. might be thinking about going into as a career, mm. um, translating and interpreting, or one of the the two. Um, so when you get this, let's say you got the paper in due time. What would be the steps that you would you go over it as a translation job and just go through it? And, or would you just kind of do a, a, a note version and see, OK, that word, and that phrase or like, would you go through it systematically? Or would you only f- focus on the kind of problem points when you were preparing for an, a an conference? Yeah. for instance. Uh,
1: No, what I do, but everybody does it differently. Of OK, um, well, at first, when I started out, of course, I needed much more time to prepare. Uh, I needed to make sure that I know all the technical terms. But, uh, you know, as time goes by, you realize that maybe there are about 50 or 100 specific terms and the rest is just normal lingo. It's just like everyday language. And you have to be very, very, you know, confident when it comes to these everyday expressions. You know, if that is something that causes you problems, then you have to do something about it. What I do is that if I really have a presentation, and if I have enough time, sometimes you just don't have enough time to do that. Right. And, and you have to prepare in between because you work for about 20-25 minutes, 30 minutes and then it's your colleague you know, taking over and in between you have that time that, that you can also use to prepare, right? And you will maybe have learned a few things from the earlier presentations, okay? Right. So, because you keep listening to them and, and you try to understand what they're trying to convey as a message. I never do a full translation, never ever. Uh, I don't like that. I I don't do any translations uh, from the paper itself, as we call it. It's like some people just read it out and, and then translate it. I don't do that. I just want to get the gist of what he or she's talking about. And if there are specific terms, I don't know. I go through it very, very quickly. Right. Like, uh, you know, scanning it for yeah. any word expression that might cause a
0: problem. seems unusual. Yeah, under- exactly.
1: Under- that I, I look up in the dictionary or on the internet. Right. And if I still have time, then I go through the text to, to understand the flow. Right. You know, to the red thread that he or she is using. Other than that, I just... Try to relax and take it from there. Yeah, of
0: course. And of course, there's a difference also between doing that kind of conference uh, interpreting. And let's say you were in Russia and you were on a TV show and they had an American guest. That's uh, one example I've seen. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, Mila Kunis, I think they had on. And uh, there was just this voice.
1: Yeah. It's really obnoxious. Yeah, uh, we do that sometimes as well. I don't like it at all. But sometimes that's the only way. That must be
0: incredibly <laughs> difficult because it's on the fly. It, the person who's speaking doesn't even know what he or she is going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So how is the translator going to immediately pick it up?
1: Yeah, but that happens a lot uh, with press conferences. Right. Uh, yeah, it's the same. Concept, yeah, yeah, and most of the press, most of the press conferences are done in consecutive style. However, which means that the person speaks first, three four sentences, and then you translate that right. or interpret that. And I definitely prefer simultaneous interpreting. Yeah, but it's true, especially uh, like uh, last year, for example, I went to an international uh, conference on mountaineering in Italy, and they had some discussions there, panel discussions, and they had different people. Like, I I don't know, some people might know Reinhold Messner. You know, he's quite famous at least in Europe, I guess. And there were some other extreme, uh, you know, like climbers, and, and these people are very, let's say, first of all, they're very outspoken. Sometimes they don't all, always use standard language, right. use their own dialect. So I was lucky enough to be Austrian there because I was feeling bad for some of my French and, and Spanish colleagues because some of the Austrians, they were speaking in their local dialect. And that was, I mean, I could understand them, but sometimes, you know, like uh, the host had to ask them to speak standard German again <laughs> because the other
0: interpreters wouldn't understand what they said. <laughs> So that can be tough too. Yeah. And and what what really got me was that uh, they asked like uh, Mila Kunis about Mm. interpreting. And she said that the simultaneous interpretation of these press conferences and like a live setting Mm. is not a translation. It's more of an interpretation. Yeah. Like obviously that's where the name comes from. Mm -hmm. And what do you think are the biggest like pitfalls you can do as an interpreter when you are making your own interpretation? Mm.
1: I mean, the thing is, when when you use the term interpretation, it's not uh, something that uh, refers to the content. That is very important. So the content always has to stay the same. What you do is, and, and that's my only explanation for why that works, right. simultaneous interpreting, because if you really try to translate that, like consciously, you just wouldn't have enough time to do that. What I do is that I try to uh, to get a feeling for the entire environment situation, okay? And and I sort of uh, try to get into the mindset of that person. Right. And then I try to say the things in the target language. You know, like, it's like, somehow it's like if, if somebody, I don't know, made me put on an Italian, whatever, whatever. Sweater or whatever, and <laughs> right. then I turn into someone yeah. uh, who who is Italian, and I try to say things the Italian ways I right. speak, but the message has to be the same. Right, and which yeah, is the difficulty? Issue. Exactly, that's the that's, that, that's it, and but that's the only way it works because it. It's just like, no, I'm speaking in English, but of course, I'm not thinking of German words beforehand. I could never do that. I so know. it's like sort of my, my if you want, my English speaking identity that is working right now. And it's the same as an interpreter. And the thing is that sometimes when I'm, especially when I'm really tired, and if you ask me what I said, you know, like afterwards, right. after the conference is finished, I couldn't tell you a thing. <laughs> Uh, it's just like it's going through me right it's right. some sort of i'm some sort of a medium i
0: guess fantastic <laughs> well I'd, I'd really love to uh, to hear your thoughts about general language learning as well but i gotta ask you if you're interested in tokipona
1: uh, I have to say I heard about it uh, for the first time like two days ago. I definitely want to see that presentation. Wasn't well, that then d- we? Then we must. Uh, okay, uh, okay, because it's right now. Yes. I'm okay, sorry, okay. Then <laughs> I'll watch it. I'll watch it on YouTube. It's that 120 la- uh, words, words yeah. uh, language or whatever made of 102 words. Oh, you, you should. I mean, we could go up and watch. Oh, that's uh, that's okay. That's okay. Okay,
0: okay. don't worry. That's a good thing they're recording it because also okay. with the ones being at the same time. It's yeah. Hard. Oh. Fantastic. So I want to uh, change the subject to like your language learning but after school because Mm. I'm sure a lot of people have familiarity with Mm. languages in school and university Mm. but how did you go about learning languages on your own Mm. after way after I suppose I mean Mm. you must have had like a working well the thing is that when I
1: first started out adding languages to the ones that I learned like uh, in a school system as I said, that was like many, many years ago, uh, before Internet and even before the times of Satellite TV. And uh, what I did is that I just bought an ordinary common language course, one right. that I liked. And I think the only thing you have to do is, I mean, you have to choose a language that you're really interested in. What I normally try to do is that I try to get, nowadays it's quite easy to uh, get a dialogue-based basic language course that uh, helps me understand the basic grammar I think grammar is very important I like grammar but I don't like studying it by heart right. I never study any rules by heart I cannot give you any explanations for why right. things are right when I say them so practical exactly b- 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 and uh, I try to Speak more or less from the first day speaking in the sense of maybe just repeating sentences that I hear. I always try to use audio material. Nowadays, that's quite easy. Yeah, it's Exactly. And then I try to use authentic material as soon as possible. If if the writing system is a different one, like with Japanese and Chinese, then it takes a little bit more time (laughs) before you can actually work with authentic material. But even if I understand just like with Chinese and Japanese when I started out, even if I would only understand like one two three characters in half a page to me that was motivation enough to continue right so i think uh, one danger or one uh, i don't know um, pitfall out there might be that you depend too much for too long a period on material that was specifically designed for learners
0: right oh
1: yeah so it's like you know like trying to practice simple strokes you know like right. uh, for somebody who tries to learn how to swim like for ages before actually trying to swim right like, over a
0: certain distance so you you try to go to the native material as fast yeah. as possible what, what would you then look up say uh, children's stories
1: no uh I, I'm a little surprised when people suggest that one should start out with children's stories. I think they're most some of the most difficult stories. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, the, a lot of concepts that are presented there are quite difficult sometimes. And, and, and I'm not talking about stories for like children that are three, four years old. I'm talking for children that are between, I don't know, eight and 12 or 14. Wow. So there are a lot of words that you don't always use in your daily life and uh, the grammar structure or the grammatical structures that they present there, they're quite complex as well and it's not always the kind of story that I can relate to as an adult, right? So what I start out with is newspapers and magazines, mm-hmm. books and history, and I love biographies. Biographies, to me, are right. perfect. Yeah. You learn a lot of things about the, the time period that you've chosen, about the person that you've chosen, and you get all the important grammatical structures. You get uh, all the tenses. Because it will make uh, sure. a link to current times as well, and and they will have an outlook into the future. Whatever you get, direct speech, indirect speech, and if it's a topic that interests you, you will be much more inclined to actually work with
0: that text. But, and I but how do you? Books, so you right. That was my. Hand. That was my next question because. You know, when you've gotten the basics down, you can understand, you have the working vocabulary, let's say a few hundred words or something, picking up, uh, you know, Putin's uh, My mm-hmm. Life or whatever. Yeah, that's up. what I did, as a matter of fact. Has he written Russia? one? Yeah.
1: Oh, I, well, I, well it, uh,
0: it was somebody, somebody else who right.
1: wrote about Putin and uh, Putin's Russia. Right. Uh, that
0: was a challenge. But, but how do you how do you do that? Because to me, that's quite a step going from that basic knowledge of a language all the way up to native yeah, the level thing material. Is,
1: yeah, but the thing is that the basic grammatical structures are all covered in the course that I've done before. Right. And then I have, let's say, I normally have between eight hundred and thousand words. After the first step, and then what I do simultaneously with, uh, you know, like trying to read authentic material is that I use frequency lists. I know a lot right. of people don't like them. I love them. I think it's, it's pretty genius. Actually. Yeah, it's like you know, those are experts who have chosen like between four and six thousand words that are the most common words, yeah. and they put them in context. You always have an example sentence, and I I learn maybe I don't know fifty, a hundred words a day learning in a sense of, of reading through these sentences. Right. I, I don't freak out if I don't remember that word. But I come across it again in, in, a, in a similar context, and then I will understand what it means, what it stands for. I'm not looking up every single word. Right. Yeah, Just as long word. as you get the context. Exactly. Right. And, and I keep, however, I keep learning the words
0: with that frequency list. Of course. Mm. And then when you, you find yourself understanding it, you just move to the next page. And exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's and, and I enjoy reading books
1: in different languages. So maybe at the beginning, it might be a good idea to read the book in your native language first and then read the same book right. in the target language. Yeah, I've heard that.
0: Yeah. People talk about Harry yeah. Potter all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Or Gary Potter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought yeah. that was hilarious. Yeah,
1: for example, I, I bought... um,
0: um
1: Obama's biography yeah. in, in English, German, and uh, Japanese. I couldn't find it in Chinese. I haven't found it in Russian either, but right. in French and, you know, Italian, whatever. And it's great. Yeah. First of all, I'm interested in the story. Secondly, there are many, many very useful constructions and, and
0: a lot of really useful, for me, useful vocabulary, right? Yeah. That's amazing. And you've obviously added a lot of languages. Um, I, like, I like the term added, by the way. Okay. I, I don't remember who coined it, but it, I think it's really great. Yeah, um, maybe Brian. Yeah, I th- it might have been actually. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's just a great distinction because when you say learn a language, that's so arbitrary. Really. Yeah, yeah. So when you say added one, that makes yeah, it much clearer. Yeah. Um, which of the languages you've added have been most... It's just a surprising to you, most? like when you went into it, you had kind of a, a preconception of the language and the culture associated with it. And then when you learned it, it was quite different from what you felt. Have you? Maybe that it? was Japanese.
1: Uh, first of all, it was a language that I. The first language that I started out of the Asian languages that I've mm-hmm. studied so far. Why did you Why did you start? Well, that was a, a totally random decision. Oh, well, Honestly, it, it's so weird. That's a decision. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just fate or destiny. I remember uh, that day or that night very well because I was totally swamped with work, and <laughs> I had been working until three o'clock in the morning. Was totally pissed off, to be honest, right. because. I wanted to go to bed, and then I said, okay, I'm going to finish that translation, then I'm going to do something nice, and I'm just going to serve uh, on the internet. And I came across, I I wasn't really familiar with YouTube at that time either, and I came across some videos uh, by a Korean guy who spoke about his passion for languages, and and then, you know, you get another link and another link, and then I ended up on on the homepage of an American guy who had spent a year in Japan. Up to that day, I had never dreamed of even trying to study an Asian language. And he was describing his experience there in such vivid colors that I went like, oh, gosh, I want to do that. Of course, I was still under the impression of having worked way too much. I was exhausted, fed up, whatever I wanted to show them that I could do something else now. (laughs) And uh, the next day, I actually ordered some books. I had no idea about Japanese. Uh, I hadn't even looked uh, into the books yet. Uh, by the time I had already booked my flight to Japan, wow, for That's the language boards, That's yeah. Commitment. And then I looked into the books and I went like, "What's that?" Okay, I knew they had some weird writing system, but three different forms, you know. And then yeah. the grammar and everything. I wanted to give the books back and then said, "No, <laughs> okay." I actually put them beneath my my bed and I said, "Okay, if I don't look at them, maybe I'm not interested in them anymore." Wow. And the next day, I took them out again, like a real addict. <laughs> so I, I started studying the language. And it's been beautiful ever since, but also painful. Right. It's a, it's a wonderful language. I, it's a love hate relationship. Right. I've wanted to give up so many times. Wow. but before we talked I was talking to a guy from Malaysia who speaks wonderful Japanese and we were talking Mandarin as well and those are the moments when I say thank you God I don't believe in you but thank you for helping me to stick with Japanese or two steps you
0: persevered yeah yeah yeah, very much but what this one thing is is how do you... I mean, you say you were so close to giving up. What was the thing that kept you going if it wasn't a divine intervention, <laughs> sure? uh, It was my friends, as
1: a matter of fact. It was my friends, my Japanese friends, that I simply wanted to be able to talk to. And it was... Uh, it was a country. By the time I had been there, you know, like, I was totally in love with many things that are Japanese. I wouldn't want to live there as a Japanese person. But... Right. Uh, you are in a somewhat different position as a foreigner, in a more privileged position, I guess. I love it. I I go there, well, frequently it's maybe a bit exaggerated, but (laughs) I try to go there next year again. And uh, I don't know. And of course, to a certain extent, I have to admit, it is pride. Right. Unusual. Yeah. You've invested so much time in it, and then, you know, like, Maybe there are a couple of days where you go like, okay, let's just forget about it. Life is too precious. I'm not going to waste any more time on trying to learn that right. language. But then, you know, like, if it's something you really like, you're drawn to it. Sure. And it will get you back, yeah. no matter what you do. So.
0: Yeah, and also, I guess, being a European, knowing mm-hmm. an, ancient, an Asian language puts you in maybe as 0.1% of the population or something.
1: Yeah, especially with Japanese, not so much with Mandarin, I guess. Right, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, guess much much more man- of course,
0: there's uh, yeah. one million native speakers plus all the learners yeah. around the world. But speaking, uh, I mean... I- in Denmark, for instance, there's, there are not that many uh, yeah. Chinese or Japanese. But in
1: my conferences, it's uh, much more common to find uh, Chinese speakers and Chinese interpreters than Japanese ones.
0: Right. So you, so, you've, you have even more special in a way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah in, in, in that respect, I guess, yeah. And as I said, I really like uh, the country. I have some really good Japanese friends and... Uh, it is a beautiful language. It's yeah. just driving me crazy sometimes <laughs> it's like with all their with the horrific speech. And uh, I know it's uh, and their kanji. I mean, the characters, the Chinese characters, the different readings that they have. It's, it's as if someone had tried to make sure that no foreign devil <laughs> would ever be able to speak and write their language. Right. And uh, yeah, but I still love it.
0: Right. I find it incredibly interesting and I, I almost feel like as a pretty I'm sorry you're studying it too No, 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 I'm not I'm not at all actually. I not I haven't started yet at least. But um I feel like as a as a kind of a new member to the Polygon community in mm. language learning or language adding community, I guess okay. what you should call it. Um, I almost feel like there's a bit of a pressure almost to learn a Asian language because that seems to be like the flavor of the maybe I, not the I do
1: remember part. that uh, when I saw the first few videos, some people were criticizing some of the uh, you well, some of the polyglots that they were, I guess they even criticized them for being racist or whatever which is stupid I yeah. guess it's that oh why don't you speak any Asian language why is it only right. Indo-European languages and whatever I mean it's like you choose the language not because other people want you to speak it exactly. but because that's a language that you have an interest in
0: yeah exactly I think that's totally true so maybe you know I haven't even looked into uh, the culture or anything but maybe I'll find that Cantonese is better for me or Mandarin uh, it's, or, it's
1: wonderful yeah. it's, it's you know like and it's always the people that draw you into that language when I first heard mandarin without having had any intention of actually studying it i thought okay yeah it doesn't sound that bad but it's not really a language that i think i, I could ever right. you know feel uh
0: attracted to or whatever
1: and now it's one of my favorite languages
0: yeah and it's, it's i have great. the same experience in uh, in russian to a large like mm-hmm. extent. i mean i i chose to learn it pretty i've heard it a bit but it always sounded kind of rough and yeah. a, little, uh, a little edgy that sounds a little strange coming from a dane but there's a difference <laughs> there's a difference and uh, once i started getting into it i really kind of i was really surprised at how beautiful it was yeah. And I compared to German a little bit because I was okay. Out now be German. careful what you're saying. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it, but a lot of people say that German is also this kind of brutal commander language. Yeah. and I disagree because I think the whole combinations with um, with the uh, putting the verbs at the end creates a very nice flow, mm-hmm. and the complex tenses, um, something like the um, hypotheticals, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, on, I mean, when you have all these... Mm. But basically, when they change into a vowel mm. is what I mm. found it really interesting. Mm. And the things you can say, that makes it really great. It's not like it's not like listening to a, an opera or a song, no, that kind of, of thing. But it's yeah. a kind of like, in German, it's like a functional mm. beauty almost. I, feel like. I mean, of course I'm biased, but I do think <laughs> yeah. German
1: is a very nice language. I think it has been getting a lot of bad reputation for totally different reasons. Sure, politically. Yeah, really. political reasons. And then, you know, when, when I watch those Hollywood movies where they portray those, <laughs> uh, even, you know, the Nazis who undoubtedly were criminals and, you know, sure. we don't really have to go into detail. The Germans are always the bad guys. Yeah, but the thing is, the way they make them speak, not even Nazis spoke like that. <laughs> I mean, it's... I don't know where they got that from. So, that is really weird. Right. And... Uh, And then again, German is a language with a lot of different dialects and variants, even the standard variants, like Austrian, standard Austrian German is different from standard German German or from standard Swiss German. So I mean, there are minor differences because we all can understand each other most of the time, at least.
0: And, uh, I, I have trouble understanding, say, uh, Swiss German and Bavarian German. Bavarian German, to me, is not a problem. Swiss German, yes. I, I did the whole shit, change the okay, or yeah, I don't know how to, yeah. how to reproduce it, but I had a yeah. Swiss roommate, and he okay. tried to speak to me. And, and yeah, that's some of it that I understood, but okay. somebody was also completely lost yeah. on me. So. We, we have similar like uh, similar dialect in Austria and
1: Fahrberg, uh-huh. where they actually speak more like the Swiss yes. and Every time I go there, I mean, it's a beautiful part of our country. People are very nice, but I feel like a foreigner. Because we're too English. Yeah, it's like, honestly, I feel like a foreigner because I can hear that I sound totally different from them. And they realize that right from the beginning, because they use certain expressions that I could try to imitate. But that would be so unnatural to me. And I don't want to put on an act. Right. So I talk to them you know, in standard Austrian German and the switch to standard Austrian German, but you feel that you are not part of that linguistic community. Right. It's different when I go to Bavaria. I feel much more at home there, right. linguistically speaking. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. And I, I guess uh, it's an interesting development anyway, because you have kind of a similar relationship between Swedish, Norwegian and, and uh, Danish, but they Defined as distinct languages, yeah. Whereas you know something like Swiss German couldn't mm. probably be its own. Well, it, I, I think, mean, I am no linguist, but I think so. Yeah. It, it probably should. I mean, my my friend even t- told me that they had their own dictionary. Yeah, I think you know. they have. So. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's it's it's funny to see how that happens. Maybe it will change. Maybe Austrian would be a language. Uh, I don't know, but <laughs> who knows?
1: I don't think so. Well, actually, it is. Well, our standard version is just German. Sure. It's just German with a few regional differences, and, and the dialects actually, except for the ones spoken in in Fálberg, are German dialects. Sure. You know, but the thing is, you have to differentiate between the concept of a German nation and the concept of a German. Speaking community. I have to be very careful about that because, you know, otherwise I get beaten up by both sides. Leftists and the rightists, you know, right-wingers, left-wingers, whatever. Right. It's just my native so you, thing, so... So you,
0: see, uh, you just see the language as German, kind of without considering the, the political aspects. Mm. Maybe, like, English in the colonies or something yeah. like that. So it's a tool of communication, yeah. not uh, like, political... And,
1: like, here in Berlin, I mean, I... Of course, people notice immediately that I'm Austrian. You know, the moment oh, I open the mouth. Sure, <laughs> sometimes they think I'm from Bavaria. Right. And, and you know, the first day I tried, I consciously tried not to use too many Austrian terms, and, and I stopped doing that. Right. You know, and like today, I, I was greeting the guys at the front desk with Kuskot right. instead of "Guten Tag," <laughs> and and then I, you know, like, uh, and it's funny because the first day uh, we had, I think it was not a second day because it was lunch. Those young guys that, you know, like uh, work there in the kitchen and that, and, and, uh, well, uh, what's that, in the dining hall uh. where we have the buffet. And he heard me talk to somebody else in German, but in Austrian German. And when I asked him in German, because he knew, I knew he was German too, uh, can I have that, please? Or could you give me that, please? And then he answered with a typically Bavarian and/or Austrian term, and wow. it was like, which nobody here would use. That's pretty. cool and He said Freilich which, and I thought, "Oh, that's nice." And I said, "So, where are you from? Are you from? You're not from here? Yeah, yeah, I'm from here, but I think
0: the way you say it is kind of cute, right? <laughs> said, okay. So, like naturally or something. Yeah.
1: So, and, and that was really nice.
0: Yeah, I find it really cool. But it's funny that you kind of get picked out as. I mean, yes, people don't know where I'm from if I speak Danish. Thing. Okay. They'll, they'll say are you Irish or something okay but uh,
1: no with uh, normally the funny thing is that sometimes at home in Austria people think that I'm from Germany but that's not because I speak with a German accent but right. I tend to speak standard German even you know that's your influence <laughs> from all the languages exactly I mean, and then my words. it's globalizing exactly like, yeah. and, and then people go like i <laughs> in my hometown you know <laughs> that was a few years ago when I was buying a dress for one of my nieces and, and then the shop assistant would ask me whether I like the town. And I said, yeah, very much so. <laughs> I lived and she there. said, yeah. And she said, so how long are you going to stay here? I said, well, unless you drive me out, maybe for the rest of my life. She said, oh, yeah, so when have you moved here? <laughs> when did you move here? And I went like, well, I was raised here. I was not exactly born in that <laughs> city, but... Oh, it's a very so and when are you going back to Germany? <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter with you on German? <laughs> it's just because if you don't speak the local dialect, and I don't speak the local dialect for various reasons... And if you speak more or less standard German in Austria, sometimes people really think that you are either from Vienna or from Germany, and both right. is equally bad for
0: right. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. And one thing that we haven't touched on is when you have all these languages and some of them you learned a long time ago. Mm-hmm. What what steps do you do to ensure that the that to they stay, the German Yeah, law. yeah. Mm. I mean maybe not perfect maintenance, but you know. <laughs> Do you do anything to keep them
1: Yeah, I do a lot of reading. I love reading in all my languages, in German as well, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. Right. That's what I still can do even if I'm really tired after a conference or if I have done a very difficult translation. Uh, Listening to a podcast is something that I can always do. And again, I choose topics, and, and there are lots of, Fantastic Tons podcasts on the internet that I'm interested in, so I can practice the language and learn something new at the same time. Right. I'm interested in history, politics, whatever. So, political, yeah, podcast. exactly. Yeah. That's that's what I do. Sometimes I, I go onto YouTube and I convert the video into an MP3 file and then right.
0: I upload it onto my MP3 player. And that's what I do. Okay, that's simple and uh, uh, and it works. I think it's a it's a good thing to do because you shouldn't fuss about it either. You know, no. you will forget things. Definitely. That's that's and um, I just don't freak out about it exactly that's uh, that's i think that's uh, what i had you know, in, in mind anyway and i want to just uh, thank you for taking the time It's been thank a, you. a real pleasure thank you for listening to the actual fluency podcast for more information be sure to check out actualfluency.com until next time enjoy learning and have a great day